Alright, this morning turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1-12. through 12. Now, we've already read a portion of the Sermon on the Mount today. We've read ahead of ourselves where we'll be now, but turn with me now to the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read from chapter, uh, verse 1-12 to 12 here. This is really the beginning of this great sermon uh, if you remember, we are in the season of Epiphany, where we're moving from darkness to light, uh, and it's quite as appropriate as we're moving into the spring, but nonetheless, we um, are talking about more than a seasonal change here, we're talking about a spiritual change, a spiritual redirection, and that is the sun himself, light itself comes into our world, not just the reflections of the light, not just the rays of the sun, but rather the sun himself. And this is one of the first sermons that Matthew uh, gives to us, which is uh, a larger sermon within uh, his book. Um, It's probably not verbatim word for word. It's probably the core of that sermon. But we do have these words here before us. So notice here as we begin reading in Matthew 5, starting with verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down... His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank You again for Your holy Word. May these words today cut through into our hearts and would You heal us by the same words that tear us down. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a sermon change your life? Most Christians are going to be able to say yes to that because at some point, somewhere, somebody preached something from the Word of God that really altered their direction in life. Now, for me, I have, yeah, I've listened to quite a few sermons in my life. Uh, not only is that part of my job, <laughs> but it's also part of my training and it's also part of my life as a kid. Um, growing up, I never didn't go to church. And we were there, and my father liked to preach and still does. And so he does it twice on Sunday. And so I got multiple uh, times where I was listening to sermons all throughout my life. 
And so I've heard quite a bit of sermons, and, and some of them stand out to me even today. Some of them I can tell you the outline of them right now. I mean, I could literally preach that sermon to you uh, right now. Others, however, have impacted me in a very unique way. And one in particular was by Brandon Watson, who is actually our missionary that we support in Mexico. He was at a youth retreat back in 1999 when I was 17 years old. He preached a sermon that night, and he was a really cool guy. Um, not that he isn't now, but he's older now. And I, I, was, I was younger at the time, and so I really looked up to him as a, as a really cool guy. If you knew him, he was from Hartsville. He, would, he was uh, very good at baseball and from a good family, so on and so forth. And, and so I really looked up to him. He had a radical conversion. He was preaching that night, and I have no idea what he pre- preached on. I couldn't tell you if, if my life depended on you what the ver- verse was he used or, or you know, even what the content of that was. But here's what mattered is that I met Jesus that night in a very powerful way, but it was through the vehicle of preaching. It was through the vehicle of a sermon. That's the best kind of sermon. Not one that you can tell me my outline that I have here, but rather one that you can say, I met Jesus in those words. That's my job. That's any preacher's job in a sermon is to point you, is to clarify for you the picture of Jesus Christ. If it, hit, if it hasn't done that, and I had a nice alliterated three-point thing, which I try not to do because I think it's corny, then I've missed my job. I've not done what I've been called to do, which is to point to Jesus Christ. So a sermon is the vehicle to God, to Jesus, the same way that the Bible is a vehicle to God. It is not God, but it's God's Word to us about Himself. And it's true, and it's real, and it's our purpose, and it's our mission. And so, there is one sermon, however, that ought to change your life (laughs) where you can see Jesus clearly because Jesus Himself preached it. And it's this sermon. Called the Sermon on the Mount. Probably the most famous of all sermons ever preached in all of the world. Uh, Beginning, as you could tell here, with the Beatitudes. So he begins with some blessings. The, the term beatitude is not one you probably use in your normal jargon. I mean, I doubt you've used that in the past two years, uh, if not more, you know. Uh, beatitude to you, you know. No, we don't think like that. We don't, we don't talk like that. Although, beatitude means blessing. And blessing in the Bible, just as we've already read, blessed are those who do this or that. Um, and even our first reading from Deuteronomy is, you will be blessed if you, com- if you keep covenant with me, if you obey my commandments. Blessed, just like it's found in also Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in the councils and so on and so forth. That term blessed is actually happy. Happy. Blessed in the Bible means happy. Now, aren't we all looking to be happy isn't it why we adjust our thermostat? Isn't it why we pick up certain hobbies? Isn't it why we like certain shows? They make us happy. Like to be around certain people. Like to eat certain kinds of food. It makes us happy. We all are on a search. Every human is on a search for happiness. We want to be happy. In other words, we want to be blessed. Jesus gives us here the Beatitudes, which are ways to be happy. Now, 
might not sound like something you would think about doing to get happy. Being poor in spirit? Does that mean I need to go moping around all day? Being meek? I thought the powerful were the ones who were, who were happy. Jesus puts first things first. C.S. Lewis is famous for this quote here. He's in the middle of a sentence, but I'll just read a portion of it. You can't get second things by putting them first. You get second things only by putting first things first. Now, we see this all over the place. You already know it, but let me just remind you. If you're backpacking and you need to get to a certain place, like my brother and I did when we were on the Appalachian Trail and we were freezing to death and we were ready to get to a road so we could hitchhike out of there because we were done with the trip. You don't get there by not stopping and getting water. You don't get there by not eating food. In other words, you say to yourself, you know what? I know food's essential. I know that hydration is essential. Shelter is essential when you're backpacking. But you know what? I've got to get to point B here on a certain time frame, so I'm just going to ignore it. You know, getting out is a secondary thing. The first primary thing is to make sure you're hydrated. So you skip over the first thing to get to the second thing sooner and you miss both. Whereas if you take the time, you pump your water, you make sure you have food, you make sure you're sheltered, then you're going to get out. You'll get the second thing thrown in by pursuing what is first. Flip that around to other situations in life. Look at love. Look at erotic love. The way you get pleased in love is not by yourself, but rather a focus on the other. Pleasure found for yourself in the other person. Try to please yourself and neither will happen. You'll be found empty. Take joy, for instance happiness. If you pursue those alone just to try to be joyful or just try to be happy in all kinds of different ways, just filling your, yourself with whatever you think makes you happy, you'll never get it. It's like reaching for sand. It's like chasing after the wind. You'll never catch it. But if you follow God's plan, if you pursue Him first, if you love others As you love yourself, you'll find all of a sudden that you are filled with joy. That life is happy for you. So Jesus turns things on their head. We think we have to grab at it. When in fact, we have to pursue Him. We have to pursue His law. His instructions. Haven't you already found out that your instructions for a happy life haven't worked out? I mean, what if we were just all told to to write a book on how to be happy? Most of us would be a dismal failure. The only ones that would not 
would be the ones who put first things first. In other words, what is ultimate? Supreme happiness is only found in obeying God's commands. It's the craziest thing in the world. Just like I told the kids, the way you don't get what you want is to throw a fit. To go on a rampage. To enter rage mode. That's a good recipe about how to not be happy and never go visit your friends again. (laughs) Or never play with that toy again. Just like the children of Israel. They thought to themselves, you know what? I know how to control God. I know how to get something out of Him. I'm going to throw a fit. I'm going to start complaining. This is not the way to go about our life. You ever notice that complaining never helps? You say, I'm unhappy. Don't like my marriage. I don't like my friends. I don't like my job. Does that help your job? Does that help your friends? Does it help your... No, it does not. Now, there is a place for telling people your life situations without even complaining about it. You know, I have a a little rule. Some of you know that rule. Some of you don't. And that is... I mean, because you have to talk about people sometimes. If you don't, you have nothing to discuss in life. So if I'm going to talk about you, which I may or may not have, I have a little rule, secret rule. And that is, number one, I'm not going to say stuff that I don't know. Number two, I'm going to pray for you at the end of that discussion because that ought to be the purpose in me discussing anything that's going on in your life. So if I'm talking to somebody about your life or even you about your life, then I'm going to pray for you by the end of that conversation because that's the purpose in talking about somebody is to help them, not to harm them, not to gain information about them in order to be above them or judge them or use them. You see, Jesus <laughs> offers something here that, that we would have never thought of ourselves. In order to be His sons, we're to be peacemakers? To be His children? I mean, shouldn't we be fighting? Jesus says, be peacemakers. Don't go about causing troubles. Be a person that is reconciling in the world. Not ready for a fight, but a reconciler. Not looking to complain. You see, we have already tried and found wanting our way in life. Now, we must choose God's way. We must put first things first. And He is first. Now, again, it's easier said than done. You're all sitting here saying, oh yeah, this is ho-hum to me. I already know that we're supposed to put God first. (laughs) And yet... Most of the time, we don't. I'm afraid that a lot of times we lose the end. In other words, you know, you say, man, I I really want the glory of being a triathlete. Right? You say, man, I just, people be like, man, that's awesome. You did this or that. That's great. Well, then you start getting out there and your legs are burning. You're heaving. Uh, 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 and you say, this is not, this is, I can't do this. You've already mentally tapped out. Let me out. 
And because no one's forcing you, you quit. And you don't get either because you put secondary things first. You didn't push through because you couldn't see the end. You ever been there in life? Not just in triathlons, but in life. You ever been in the midst of pain? I mean, you're heaving. You feel like you can't even keep your neck above the water. You don't feel like you can hear one more word from that person. You feel like you can't even go to work or get out of the bed. You ever felt like that? In the midst of the storm, everything's whirling around. You can't make up from down. We must keep in mind the end. Suffering here. What does Jesus say? Rejoice when you suffer. And then we're saying, is He mental? Yeah, He's the only mentally stable person in the room. We tap out. We fall into temptation. In those moments of despair, when we're, when we're right here and the water's up to there, He's saying, trust me, wait one more minute, wait one more day, persevere, just make the next step. I mean, one thing I do in my mind is I say, I'm going to make it to that mailbox right there, and then I'm going to quit. When I get to the mailbox, I say, now I'm going to make it to that mailbox, and then I'm going to quit. Put one step in front of the other. There's a spiritual lesson there. We don't have to worry about understanding everything that's going to transpire in our life. We'll never know that. We'll never know if one day we're going to come down with the news with cancer or we're going to come down with that phone call in the middle of the night. We don't know. Don't worry about what you don't know. Worry about what you can know and do know, which is our end is Jesus Christ. Our end is the kingdom of God. That's what we live for, not for ourselves. Not so we can breathe easy. Not so we can lay up on the couch. We must enter the race, as Paul says, and persevere. (laughs) Persevere. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But this is the recipe for a happy life. You know, I've enjoyed some shows from time to time. I try not to watch dumb things. I feel like it makes me dumber. But when I find a good show to watch, I try to watch it, and I've noticed that, you know, I can say to myself, man, you know what? I got the day off. I'm just going to sit here and watch this show all day. I find myself at the end of the day not even wanting to watch the show, and I feel really bad. I've got this dull headache from laying up all day, doing nothing, Because I tried to get greedy with what has been given to me. This is another thing of putting secondary things first. Is TV bad? No. Is alcohol bad? No. Are these things in our life that we get offered all the time, are they bad in themselves? No, not at all. But as Solomon would warn us, who knew about alcohol, who knew about pleasure, although he didn't know about TV, He would tell us all in moderation. We're like kids who come to Bobby and Deborah. Gimme, gimme, gimme candy. More candy, more candy. And then we eat a bunch of candy. And just like the, the, the kids' books that I read to my kids go, you then get, you know, just like a caterpillar. What's that guy's name? The, the very hungry caterpillar. He gets a stomachache after he eats all that junk. Right? C.S. Lewis puts it this way in his book. He says... And I cooked bacon this morning so I would know. He says, the smell of bacon in the morning before you've had anything to eat is just the most glorious smell you can imagine. 
It really is. And trust me, it really was. But he said, after you've had this big meal and you've gotten over full on bacon or sushi rolls or whatever it is that you like to eat and divulge into, um, he says to go back in the kitchen and smell the smell of cooked bacon almost makes you want to vomit. Isn't that how our life works? We find something in life whether it's pleasure or fame or talking about people that we like. We feel like temporarily it makes us really happy. So what do we do? We put it first. And then we hate it. Then we lose the pleasure. Then we lose the joy in it and we find ourselves wondering why we ever did it in the first place. Think of that meal again. Oh, I can never eat bacon again. (laughs) You see, Jesus, at the beginning of His sermon, tells us to put first things first. What are first things? God. Love. Forgiveness. Mercy. Peacemaking, suffering with Jesus, being persecuted for your righteousness, hungering and thirsting after God, not the world, mourning and weeping with those who weep. That's where happiness is found. You want to be blessed? Start crying for those who are lost today, those who just got news of cancer. We don't just say, ha, glad it wasn't me, ha ha, I'm running on with my life. No, we carry them in here in prayer. Jesus ascends the mountain here on this sermon as the new Moses. <laughs> We've already talked about this, but do you know what Moses did? He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Out of their bondage. What is Jesus saying here? This is the way out of your Egypt. You've been in slavery. You ever notice how when we put second things first, that they can become our slave, our master. We have to do them. It's what we feel like we we must do. We've already accepted that that's who I am and I'll never change. And it's a lie from hell. It's a lie from the liar himself, Satan. Who just finished tempting Jesus, remember? The Beatitudes show us true discipleship. They show us Jesus' very character. Now, the Beatitudes are a fulfillment of that first promise ever given to an individual, Abraham. Abraham. Wasn't he told to leave? (laughs) Are you noticing something here? Leave his land and go to a place that he would be told. A place that was called and known as the promised land. When you get the kings, now they're looking for the kingdom of God to come. Jesus here says, 
I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven down. It's all coming down with me, and yet it's still to come. What is the kingdom of heaven? In short, it's God's rule on earth. Are you living within His rule? You may obey the laws of this land, but what about His land? And which is more important? The laws of this land, which would be secondary things, are first and primary things, God's law. When the early Christians were told to bow down and burn incense and proclaim that Jesus was not Lord, but rather Caesar, they disobeyed the laws of their land and were killed for it. They were martyred for that belief. But you know what? You can go read it for yourself. When they were martyred, some of them were burned at the stake. They were tied up. They had tar put on them so they would burn longer, so it would hurt more. And then they were set on fire by such Caesars as Nero, Claudius. And the accounts, the eyewitness accounts that came and reported were they were singing hymns as they were burning to death with joy on their face. How is that possible? It's only possible because they put first things first. And Jesus' Word is the truest Word you'll ever hear. You can take it to the bank. He will never fail. If He says we'll be happy by doing these things, by suffering for Him, then He means it. Was He not glad to go to the cross for us? It's paradoxical. And yet it's the way of the kingdom. We think we get happiness by being complacent, by being lazy, by doing what we want. And like any good parent, the Father says, no, child, that's not the way. If you want to enjoy Starburst, don't eat four packs of Starburst. (laughs) Only eat one at a time. And what you'll find is that you actually enjoy them more in moderation. When you put second things second and first things first. Jesus then marches in His sermon right into the law says this, but I tell you this. And we read that. In other words, He is bringing not only freedom like Moses brought, but He's bringing the law of God like Moses brought. But this time, the law finds its fulfillment, its end in Jesus Christ. He is the end of the law. All of the law points to Him. He did not come to abolish the law. Rather, to help us fulfill it. To help us obey the law. We can obey God. We are His children and we can be obedient children only by the grace of God. Only by the Holy Spirit. He comes to make us holy. Not just to forgive us, but to free us from our bondage. He can do that. Do you believe He can do that? Because that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what He's come to do. The Israelites, they would have never conceived that God would deliver them from Egypt. And yet He did with mighty signs. And I promise you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, He can deliver you from whatever sin has got you tangled up. 
can free you. In the Son is freedom. True freedom. (laughs) The other thing, and the last thing he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, just to try to summarize, which is ridiculous, two chapters, but it's prayer. Prayer. He leaves them with prayer. How to pray and the importance of praying. If God prayed, how much more do we need to pray? Praying is at the heart of everything we do as a Christian. It is what we do as a Christian. Prayer is the Christian life. You say, how do I pray? Well, Jesus gave a model prayer. In the Sermon on the Mount, praying is simply talking to God from your heart. Today we can be a Pharisee and say, yeah, you know what, I obey the law. I do what God says, but hate Him in our hearts. Never look at Him. You remember the story in Luke that's given of the tax collector who comes to pray alongside the the Pharisee? And the Pharisee prays this majestic prayer, which Jesus warns against, don't pray in front of people to be seen. You know, don't, don't show off when you're praying. Just pray to God. Just let it come from your heart. He prays this big prayer. He says, I'm glad I'm not like this sinner. And the sinner, the, the, the tax collector, all he does is beat his chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, who went away redeemed? It was a tax collector. You may, by your own standards, think you're living a good life. And, you know, to my standards, you probably are as well. I mean, I know most of you personally, and I would say, oh yeah, he's living, he's living the good life, for sure. She's living the good life. She's a good person. But I don't know your heart. I don't know the demons that torment you. I don't, but God does. You do. He can free you from that. You say, I'm not happy. If you, if you were really honest with me, which most of you probably wouldn't be, you say, Marsha, I'm not happy. Or just, I'm, really, there's just, I'm really not happy. This is the prescription for your happiness. Amen. Living like this. Not living for yourself. You say, I just don't know my identity in this world. I just, I, I... Don't look within. You're never going to know who you are by looking at you. You'll only know who you are by looking at Him. You'll only be freed from your sin by forgetting yourself. It's the craziest thing in the world. In order to enjoy myself, I'm talking about me, I have to forget myself and be focused on you. Be focused on my wife. Be focused on my precious children. That's where happiness is found. Not in me. Not in trying to grasp. The Pharisee never looked at God even though he was looking up. The tax collector only looked at God even though he was beating his chest and looking down in shame. Which one are we? Do we walk around better than everybody else? Or do we really see in the light of Christ what's in here? Kind of like Isaiah, remember? He saw the Lord high and lifted up, trained his robe, filled the temple. And what did he say? Oh Lord, I am unclean. He was a prophet. 
But he's being honest. Can a sermon change you? Only if you see Jesus in it. Only if you meet Jesus. Run to Him. You only need Him. Everything else will come. Isn't that what? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all the other things will be added in there. You'll enjoy your work. You will be able to endure your suffering. But put those things first, put them on the top of the list, you'll lose it all. You'll lose it all. You'll lose everything. (laughs) To have everything and not Jesus is nothing. To have nothing and to have Jesus is everything. That's the formula for happiness. That's the first commandment, no other gods before me. Do you hear His call this morning? He's calling you by name. He knows you by name. He counted every hair on your head this morning. Because it probably changed during the night. He knows it, not by process of osmosis, just because He's God, but rather, He loves you so much that He watches you. He knows your character. He knows your personality. He knows what makes you happy. And it's Him. Do you know that? You can today. He waits for you. He's already done everything possible to reach us. Ball's in your court. He's down on one knee. I hope your answer will be yes to Him. Yes to His call. Yes to His mission. Yes to His church. Amen.